turn now to our scripture lesson for the sermon this evening as we continue our consideration or survey through the Ten Commandments. We come to the fourth commandment tonight in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And so this is the word of the Lord, as the Lord gave to Moses these Ten Commandments to write down infallibly. But we know that these, as they're recorded here in Exodus 20, were spoken by God directly to Israel. So here is the word of the Lord, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us this time, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in the Lord's sight. There were three basic types of sacrifices that took place in the tabernacle and in the temple and the Old Testament period on a regular basis. There were, of course, special sacrifices for certain feast days, but on a regular basis there were three basic sorts of sacrifices, and the first was the guilt offering, or the sin offering. This was uh, this involved the sacrifice of an animal that was considered temporarily, and of course this only looked forward to Christ, because an animal cannot actually atone for the sin of a human being, but this involved the sacrifice of an animal that temporarily was seen to atone for the sin of the offerer. Its spilled blood was poured on the altar, and its body was disposed of outside of the camp to cast sin away from the people. And of course, this was pointedly referred to and done in a grand scale for all of the nation at the time of the, uh, of the Day of Atonement. This was meant, a sacrifice, a sin offering, was meant to point forward, of course, as I said, to Christ by reiterating that sin requires death as its penalty. Another type of sacrifice was called the ascension, or sometimes the whole, more commonly really, the whole burnt offering. This involved the sacrifice of an animal that would be totally burned on the altar. It was a complete offering to God, and could be seen both as a, as a offering for sin, so that Christ is also referred to as our whole burnt offering, and it showed the whole self uh, was needed to be offered to God. And sin having been atoned for by the blood of the substitute, this animal took the place of the forgiven sinner entering into the heavenly presence of God. This was symbolized in the, the smoke and ash that would rise up from the whole burnt offering, and it foreshadows both Christ's offering of his total self for us and even his ascension and our presence through him 
with God the Father. Lastly came the peace offering, consisting of meat and grain and wine, uh, part of which was burned to be offered to God, and the rest of which was eaten by the priests and the worshipers. And so uh, you were sharing a meal, as it were, with the Lord. And of course, when we celebrate the sacrament of communion, we see that. We still have these basic elements reflected in our worship on the Sabbath day. As we gather together, often confessing our sins, knowing that Christ has offered himself as our sin offering. And through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we enter the Heavenly Father's presence where we praise him, sing, and pray to him. Then we feast on his word in fellowship with him. And periodically we are privileged to share a meal as we have the Lord's Supper. These are appropriate Sabbath day activities, which brings us then really to the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment states, as we read here in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, again, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Notice several things that are stated there. First thing is that we are to remember the Sabbath. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word for rest or ceasing. It is to be a day of rest, we're told, from all our labors. We have six days to get our labors done, and this is a day to be a day of rest unto the Lord. In Luke 13, verses 10 through 17, we read this. Now he was, speaking of Jesus, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So Luke 13, 10 through 17, there we see that this is not... Uh, the, what we're forbidden from doing does not include, of course, acts of worship, but also acts of necessity and mercy are appropriate on the Sabbath day. These are appropriate. Cattle need feeding and watered. Diapers need changing. 
the sick have to be tended. Uh, travel to the house of worship happens. These things are necessary. Hospitals don't close on the Lord's Day. And I might say as an aside there that I've heard people say sometimes when I've preached about Sabbath keeping in the past, they'll uh, tell me stories. I remember one more than once somebody told me a story after I'd preached about Sabbath keeping about how terrible it was because you know, there used to be what were called blue laws where the state would enforce Sabbath keeping to a certain extent and certain businesses could not be open on the Lord's Day. And uh, you would find that someone would say to me, or I would find that someone would say to me after church, well, uh, there was this time that I had a broken leg or I was sick and I went to the pharmacy after seeing the doctor and the pharmacy wasn't open. That's how terrible that is. The pharmacy couldn't be open on the Sabbath day. You know what? Uh, As far as I've been able to find, no blue law actually ever forbid a pharmacy from being open on the Lord's Day. That was the pharmacist's choice. Hospitals are open on the Lord's Day and should be, of course, because people don't cease being sick and they need to be tended. But it is to be a day of rest from our regular labors, from running our errands, from doing our own business. So that's the first thing to note, is that Sabbath is a rest. Second thing to note is the day is to be remembered. That's the the first commandment. That's the verb there, remember the Sabbath. That means more than not forgetting, but that's the first thing about it, isn't it? You must not forget it. We're not permitted to skip it. Remembering it means not just having it in mind and not letting it slip from our minds, but then performing it, keeping the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So that's the third thing. The day is to be holy. To be holy in Scripture means to be set apart unto God, something that is not an ordinary thing. It's holy. Set apart, consecrated for God's purposes. It's a day different from the other six days of the week. It is not our time, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For as verse 10 says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So it's a holy day, it belongs to the Lord, not to us. The fourth thing is that we are to labor six days. So far from advocating laziness, this is telling us to rest from our labors when we have been really laboring. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So we're commanded to labor six days. This commandment forbids being a freeloader, being lazy. We do our work for six days. The fifth thing, though, is that it isn't just for believers. I've heard... It's said before that uh, when when Christians are advocating the, the public uh, display of the Ten Commandments, and some saying, well, what do we need to display it publicly for? It's just for the church. I've heard Christians say that. 
Well, the Ten Commandments aren't just for the church. We know we've talked about the third use of the law, of course, that it restrains evil in the world in general. But right here, we see in this commandment that it's not just for believers. It's not just for people who are in the covenant who should rest. It's your children, your livestock, your employees, your visitors, the stranger within your gates. As we're told in verse 10, in it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. So it isn't just the believers who should rest. We should not encourage or expect anyone to labor for us on the Sabbath day. Unless it's an act of necessity or mercy. So again, hospitals can be open. Other things we ought not to be using unless they're necessary. The sixth thing is that by keeping the Sabbath, we show we belong to God because we uh, imitate our Heavenly Father in His act of creation. As we see, for in six days, in verse 11, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So by keeping the Sabbath, we show that we belong to God because we imitate our Heavenly Father as He rested from His labors. God labored for six days and rested on the seventh from His great acts of creation. So should His children. To go back to the previous point, to say that we ought not to expect labor from others, we look at the parallel of that in Deuteronomy and we actually find that the reason God gives there is not that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, but is, for you were a slave in Egypt. But of course we do imitate our Heavenly Father in His act of creation and His rest from it as we rest one day in seven. I ought to give some attention to the issue here of the shifting of the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first. Uh, Some will argue and have that, well, uh, the Lord labored for six days and on the seventh day he rested. And some have even erroneously said that the word Sabbath is related to the word for seven. It sounds a little bit like the Hebrew word for seven, uh, but it actually is, as I mentioned before, uh, it comes from the root that means ceasing. So the seventh day was a ceasing. And so uh, we see, as we saw when we uh, made our way through the uh, Old Testament feasts, that no matter what day of the week many of those feasts fell on, they were called a Sabbath. They were to be a rest, a ceasing from their labors. It didn't have to be the seventh day. But some will contend, well, the, the Sabbath is the seventh day. The fourth commandment says that God labored for six days and rested on the seventh. Shouldn't we still be resting on the seventh? And indeed, didn't Jesus rest from the seventh? Even when he was dead, he waited to be resurrected until the first day of the week. Well, we do, however, see a shifting from the seventh day to the first day of the week. And we see this clearly set forth by example when we read the book of Acts. Every time that we know what day it was, 
that the Christians were gathered for worship, we know it was the first day of the week. Anytime we're told that it was a particular day of the week that the Christians were gathered to worship, they were gathering on the first day of the week. Pentecost, of course, was on the first day of the week. And I would contend that you'll notice that the believers in Acts 2 were not gathered at the temple on Pentecost, which is where everybody else was headed. They were gathered in the upper room together, worshiping, I think because it was the first day of the week. Certainly every other time in Acts, we see what day of the week it was when Christians were gathered for worship. It was the first day of the week. Paul preached into the evening on the first day of the week, late into the night, and Eutychus fell from the window. That was the first day of the week. Paul tells the Corinthians to gather a collection on the first day of the week. Why? Well, presumably because that's the day they're gathering together for worship. Why would they do that? Why would believers who had been used to, particularly the Jewish believers in Jesus now, who had been used to a seventh-day Sabbath, now shift it to the first day of the week? Well, under the new covenant of Christ, the day has been moved to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course. It is the Lord's day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, his act of sacrifice was ended The new creation was fully inaugurated, and he rested from that work. He rested from the labors that he came to perform after his resurrection. Just as the old creation was finished with a day of rest, which was commemorated each seventh day under the old covenant, so do we commemorate Christ finishing his acts of the new creation by remembering his resurrection each first day of the week under the new covenant. If it helps to think of, when we we think of the keeping of the law and we keep the moral law, but the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law are no longer applicable to us, we see that Sabbath keeping is a creation ordinance, goes all the way back to creation. God uh, created the earth, the heavens and the earth in six days and then rested from his labors on the seventh. But that seventh day, the particular day of the week, we would see as a ceremonial aspect, whereas the moral aspect is the keeping of one in seven. So we still keep that moral aspect. It's just shifted to the first day of the week because Jesus has risen from the dead. There's a lot more that could be said about that. That was foreshadowed in the Old Covenant that we saw in our series on the Old Covenant feasts when we noted that there were certain eighth-day celebrations that were Sabbath days, like the day of Pentecost, or like the Feast of First Fruits, the day after the Sabbath of Passover week. Now, I might also mention that as Christ said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Notice again, that was his reasoning for healing on the Sabbath. And as we saw in Luke 13, he pointed out that, that we would loose our ox on that day. Why would we not loose a woman who has been bound by Satan, as it were, bound by this infirmity? We do not exist to keep a legalistic tradition. It isn't to be binding us. The point of keeping the Sabbath isn't to bind us under something burdensome. And I'm not particularly interested in checking to see whether you're mowing your lawn or shopping 
on the Lord's Day, though I would recommend that you not, unless you're skipping church to do it. Uh, But I would recommend that you not do those things because those things are not keeping the spirit of the Sabbath. I personally don't go to restaurants on the Sabbath. Kim and I don't go. uh, Because why would we be paying someone else to labor for us on what ought to be a day of rest for all? Remember, it's not just believers. It's your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger who is within your gates. But the issue isn't simply to be a legalistic bond on us to say, here's a set of rules like the Pharisees created. What can or can't you do on the Sabbath? Well, you you can only go so far from your own property on the Sabbath. And so, you know what people would do in the first century in Jesus' day? Uh, The people who were wealthy, if there was a Sabbath day's journey, they were only able to go so many uh, miles or so many yards, really, from their own property. Well, the night before, uh, the day before, they would have their servants run ahead of them as they were traveling and drop an old piece of their property, like a comb or a brush or a mirror or something, along the roadside every so many feet so that they could keep traveling on the Sabbath day because they, were traveling, they weren't traveling any farther from their own property than the Sabbath day's journey. Well, that would, that's a legalistic loophole created by the addition of rules to God's law. It isn't about how far you travel. It's about what are you doing with the day. Is it a day of rest unto the Lord? A time to set aside other concerns to be focused on God. So that the point of Sabbath keeping isn't to be a burden on us. It's to loose us from burdens. It's to free us from the burden of our daily labors. The things that would distract us from God. By not keeping the Sabbath set apart as the Lord's Day, rather than a day for ourselves, which is what the other six are, we actually rob ourselves of full communion with God. As well as robbing God of the glory that He deserves. And notice He only expects one day in seven from us. Now, obviously, we break this commandment when we do work that we could have done on another day, when it's not an act of necessity or mercy. We're not coming to worship. We're violating Sabbath keeping. But on a deeper level, we violate the fourth commandment any time we fail to give proper attention to the worship of God, the things that we're supposed to be doing on this day. When we're distracted by other concerns, or if we let our minds wonder when we should be singing praises, praying, reading the scriptures, hearing the sermon, and so on. And don't think that I'm free from that possibility just because I happen to be the one reading the scriptures and preaching the sermon. How often I notice the weakness of my flesh as I'm reading the scriptures, and then I think when I'm done, boy, I hope I read that right because I have no idea what I just said, because my mind wondered. hope I didn't say something foolish to you when I was supposed to be reading the scriptures. I didn't say out loud what my mind was, or what the words that were going through my mind, rather than the scriptures. We 
get distracted with other concerns, when we let our minds wander, when we should be focusing on the praise of God or on His Word, that's really a violation of what the Sabbath is for. Westminster Shorter Catechism rightly says the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. I think we need to note, of course, that the word means rest, and so taking a Sabbath rest from your labors and taking a nap, for example, is perfectly appropriate. But it goes on, it says, The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required. So, you know, failing to worship God as we ought, or doing it carelessly even. And the profaning of the day by idleness or doing that which is itself sinful, or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreations. Now, if we think that that's an accurate understanding of what the Sabbath is to be, who of us could claim, I have never violated the Sabbath day. I've always kept the fourth commandment. Have we, every seven days, kept a Sabbath to the Lord and kept it perfectly holy when we've done so? I know I haven't. Praise God, we have a Savior. The 18th century Puritan theologian Jonathan Edwards reminds us of the two aspects of God's justice in terms of our having violated His law. He says, The justice of God that required man's damnation and seemed inconsistent with His salvation now as much requires the salvation of those that believe in Christ as ever before it required their damnation. So what's he saying there? that the same justice of God that required that we be condemned and sent and expelled from His holy presence forever by our sins, because Jesus has died for those sins and imputed His righteousness to His people, it would be now unjust for God to cast those people away from Him, because Jesus has died for them. This is why John says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive them. He isn't just winking at your sins. He is just to forgive your sins because Jesus has died for them. As as, uh, Jonathan Edwards goes on, he says, Salvation is an absolute debt to the believer from God. Not because we earned it, but because Jesus did, right? He says, Salvation is an absolute debt to the believer from God so that he may in justice demand it on account of what his surety has done. For Christ has satisfied justice fully for his sin. The believer may demand eternal life because he has been merited, or because it has been merited by Christ. That justice that seemed to require man's destruction now requires his salvation. Because Jesus stood in your place, the penalty for your sin is paid if your trust is in Him. Now, the response of the saved, the one who believes in Jesus and knows that that penalty has been paid, should be obedience, not out of a fear of destruction from God, but out of joy and gratitude for the salvation that has been freely given. As that relates to the fourth commandment, it means you need to be intentional about setting the Sabbath apart as holy. As a day in which to worship and rest from your other labors that you could do on another day. Let it be 
not your day, but the Lord's day. In Isaiah, the Lord says, he has a blessing for you if you turn back your foot from doing your own will on the Sabbath. It's a day of fellowship with our Creator, a day to enter His presence, and even to share a meal with Him, as we do periodically, observing the Lord's Supper. But as each Lord's Day, you feast on the Word of God. The Lord's Day is a blessing for His people. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, let's pray. Lord of the Sabbath, we remember that this is the day you rose from the dead. And we ask you, O Lord Jesus, and you, O Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, to grant that we might have true fellowship with you, our Creator God, this day. And we pray that you would grant that each Sabbath we would remember you, turn our foot back from doing our own will, and be blessed as we rest in you. And we pray this in the name of of the one who established his new creation on this very day of the week, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.